Hello and welcome to Actuarial People with myself, James Turner. I'm excited to be launching a brand new podcast where each week I'll be speaking with the UK actuary. My aim is to give you, the listener, greater insight into the people behind the profession and their personal career journeys. So we'll cover things like why and how they became an actuary, what they do on a day-to-day basis, how they balance work and study with life, any specialisms they've developed, and how their role has evolved over time. So whether you're an actuary yourself, or you're aspiring to become one in the future, welcome and enjoy. Welcome to Actuarial People, Paul Kitson. Hi there, James. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I'm well. Looking forward to chatting to you today. Yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. I I think I reached out to you only a, only a few days ago and you said yes straight away and, and here we are. So really appreciate your time. I know you're, you're obviously a very busy man. I wondered if we could just give the listeners a quick overview of who you are and what you do today and then we'll go back to the beginning and, uh, and take it from there. Yeah, very happy to, very happy to. You're probably getting a bit of an insight into my ego, the fact that I said yes. So, so, so <laughs> maybe we'll come back to that. So, um, hi, yeah. So I, I'm Paul Kitson, currently a partner at EY. So I lead EY's UK pensions consulting team. Um, so it's a team of about 100 or so folks now, a mix of actuaries, investment consultants and governance and data folk in there in there as well, working with a whole, a whole bunch of people in there pensions ecosystem. Fantastic. Well, I, I usually start with asking how you first discovered that actuaries existed. But a couple of weeks ago, we swapped a couple of messages on LinkedIn. I made a post about theme parks and was talking about Pleasurewood Hills. And I think you mentioned you grew up in Norfolk. I was, I was, it just got me curious as to what your, if we go back further, what your background is and wondered if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about where you grew up and and that sort of thing, if, if you could. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. Happy to. So yeah, so I, I grew up in, in Norwich, um, in Norfolk. So um, spent my kind of younger, informative years uh, there. Both my mum and dad were, were kind of doctors. So they worked uh, worked at kind of various hospitals in, in Norwich. Um, so hence, yeah, a regular family trip. I say regular, at least once a year, we'd head off to, to Pleasurewood Hills. Slightly surreal theme park, as, as, you, as you say, <laughs> kind of... Um, out, out on the sort of coast there so yeah so grew up there I mean I, I spent I think probably my early life keen to kind of escape Norwich and get to the bright lights of of London which I did when I went to university um, and it literally almost the point I ended up in London Norwich suddenly became this kind of super cool place to, to be and go to so I think I've got my <laughs> all, all, all wrong but yeah that's where I that's that's where I grew up yeah let's go to it then when did you discover that the profession existed when did you, when did actuaries come onto your radar yeah, so um, I mean, I listen to a lot of your your podcasts, James. They're, they're they're really great, and you know, many actuaries kind of talk about when they were at school, and and you know, many actuaries received a calling and learned about the profession quite quite early in their in in their life. I, I wonder if I might be the first, and I'm not sure whether I should own up to this or not, James. But I wonder if I might be your first guest who accepted a role as an actuary before really knowing even what an actuary was um maybe i should explain that a little bit a little bit more so i was i I did maths and economics at at university london school of uh, of economics um but i didn't really have a clue what i wanted to do when i left uni and then sort of started panicking as i was heading into my final year that i really should be thinking about a job so did what what you what you do and, and kind of write off wrote off to a whole bunch of companies um, a whole bunch of different companies, actually. So one, I think, was a telecommunications company that's since since gone bust. 
Um, so maybe good I didn't end up there. One was a computer um, builder. And then there was this company, which I didn't really know anything about, called, called Bacon and Woodrow, um, who were looking for kind of graduates to interview. So I wrote off to them. Um, and um, initially they said they, they turned me down. Um, and then and then I sort of got this phone call on a Friday, late on a Friday, saying we've had someone pull out of an assessment day. Can you come along on on Monday to, to this assessment day in, in London? Um, they did say that most of the other candidates there kind of knew about this several weeks ago, and they, they've all been asked to prepare a presentation. So you know, don't worry, we'll kind of appreciate you. We've only got the weekend to do yours. So anyway, so went went off to this um, assessment day at Bacon Woodrow really enjoyed it um i can't remember what, what my presentation was on it was something about student student life anyway nothing to do with with, with actuaries okay and, um, and then and then yeah then sort of a couple of weeks after that they um they wrote to me and said look you know we'd, we'd, we'd love to love to have you on our graduate program um and so bacon Woodrow, i should have said up front is a, is a firm of actuaries since subsumed into into aon yeah. um, and so yeah and, and and they said look we don't mind what you get in your in your finals where, you know, we sort of, you know, you passed all of the math stuff that we tested you on. So, um, so I thought, well, that's quite neat. I, you know, takes the pressure off my year end, uh, a little bit. So, um, so, so yeah, so I said, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll do it. I probably should have thought about it a bit, bit more than that. Um, so then I started like talking to friends. I was like, oh yeah, no, I've accepted this graduate place with this firm of, of actuaries. And, um, and they, uh, and they were like, well, do you know what an actuary does? And I was like, well, not. Not really. You think it's something maths and statsy, which, which I kind of enjoy. And then he was saying, like, and and you know, you've got to do exams. And I was like, oh, really? I hadn't really, hadn't really understood. So I started reading up on it, and and sort of suddenly discovered, actually, you know, having just about to finish my end of year university exams, that um that that, that actuaries do all these exams and, and learn a bit more about it. Um, and you know, but but was still super super keen. And so I completely, I suppose. Uh, it's a slightly long, long story, but the moral of that story is I, I, did, I completely fell into it by accident. I didn't really know what the profession was, but almost in the word go, just loved every minute of it. The the ability to kind of mix maths and stats with kind of real world business and real world challenges, and you know, to meet phenomenal people. Um, I, I, I never looked. I never looked back. So, um, so yeah. So un unlike many others who knew you know knew about the actual profession early on. I somewhat stumbled naively into it, but um, but was really glad I did. Really glad I did. Yeah. So, do, do, do you remember what it was like when you started, sort of being introduced to the world of presumably you were, were you pensions or were you investment at that point? What yeah. So, pe so pensions on yeah. the kind of pensions benefits side. I mean, it was you know Bacon Woodrow. Uh, it was a great employer. I think I was part. I think there was maybe twenty of us who joined as graduates. So a great you know a great sort of graduate community and. A lot of kind of training and um yeah so got, got to meet you know some great people that you know still still friends with now some still in the pensions profession some that have um gone off to do to do sort of very different things um but yeah just you know i sort of got involved in client work pretty pretty early on and just yeah just just sort of really enjoyed it and how did you find the exams yeah, I'm not um, so tough, right? I mean, they are, they are tough. I'd love to say I was one of these people that that kind of you know sort of sailed through them, but but no, I failed a few. I think I got through my qualification in in six years, which I think is you know is is, is okay, not not brilliant, but but okay. Um, so they were tough. I think you know in some ways the early ones weren't so weren't so bad, and, and early on in your career, the first couple of years, you know, you haven't quite got as much 
pressure on work as you do as as you do later. So it's sort of a bit easier to spend the time studying. But but I think you know the last ones were a bit tough when you're sort of getting a little bit more senior. You know you've got more and more you're doing in the in in the office and trying to sort of study alongside that was 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 tricky. So yeah, I did um I did I did find them tough. So I was glad when I got it got it done. Glad when I got it done. Yeah, you're a partner today. So there'll be lots of people, you know, whether they've they're a few years into their career and would love to be a partner in the future, or whether they've they've not even started their their journey yet, and they'll be curious as to what it takes to to get to that level. And we, I don't want to sort of jump straight to where you are today, but when you think back, at what point did you start setting sights on becoming a partner yourself? Were you were you sort of driven, ambitious? You knew you wanted to get there, or or did that happen? later on when you got closer and got more senior yeah good question so i don't i don't think i ever thought like i want to be a a partner or i want to end up here even i think it was very much i always though had a sense of like what's the next stage and what's the next kind of level to get to and just kept sort of asking that 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 sort of question i got got a great bit of advice early on in my career which was you know kind of just try and start doing the job of of your boss and just try and make their life easier so so I sort of followed that throughout my career of just you know looking at um what do they do how can I help them how can I do more so I don't think I ever sort of stand there and thought this is where I want to end up but I did like sit there and go well what's the next promotion where do I go um and you know and even as a partner today I still I still do that you know even when um even when you become a partner you discover there's then just a whole new world of different levels of partner there, there for you. So, you know, I still like to challenge myself and ask myself that question today is like, what's next? What can I be doing as my next next kind of opportunity? Yeah. So w- was it promotions that were a big sort of motivator for you? Or were there other things that, that gave you that sort of drive? Yeah, I, I, I suppose, I've, you know, I've always liked the kind of the recognition of, of, of that. I mean, I've, I've always, you know, and obviously there's a sort of financial element um, to, to it as well, which is always, always nice. I suppose I've always enjoyed doing more with clients. And I suppose I did see, particularly early on in my career, promotion as part of, you know, how can I be the one more making the decisions and spending more time with, with the client? I mean, that's the bit I I really love is sort of being out there with the client, trying to solve their solve their problems. Um so 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 yeah, so I think it was probably it was probably that rather than rather than anything else. Did you know that you were someone who wanted to be client facing thinking back to like when you started when you got your first role because I guess a lot of people have sort of maths backgrounds they're not necessarily going out there meeting lots of people and doing that side did that sort of grow on you as you got to grips with what the job was and how it all worked hi guys we'll get straight back to the conversation in a second just a quick reminder that when I'm not recording podcasts I specialize in helping pensions actuaries with their career moves and I'd love to help you when the time comes to explore your options I work with people at all levels, whether you have a couple of years experience through to senior positions. My approach is different to most recruiters. I started my own business last year and work alone, which means I have zero pressure to hit targets and can just focus on giving the best possible help and advice. So whether you're thinking of making a move now or would just like to understand your options for the future, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email james at turnerperkins.com. Back to the show. Yeah. I always really enjoyed the client, but I, I, and I should say early on in my career, I was really lucky and I had some great, great kind of bosses, people that would take me out to their, to their kind of clients, you know, and, and initially kind of more was their sort of bag carrier to, to take the minutes, but just that opportunity to kind of observe was great. And then 
increasingly to kind of own a little bit of the agenda and have a little bit to kind of talk to. And I just always loved that. I mean, I, you know, I love the maths of the job of being an actuary. And, and you know, even today, as my team will tell you, you know, I've been known to sort of spin up a quick spreadsheet because, you know, I enjoy just sort of testing stuff stuff out. But But for me, the thing I really enjoy is being out in front of clients in the real world, in their businesses and helping them kind of solve their problems. So I think I always knew that, yeah, I wanted to be client facing. I never wanted to be just kind of sitting in the sitting in the back office. And why why is that? What do you get from from the client facing stuff? I suppose for me, so I've, I've always enjoyed, I guess, problem solving. You know, kind of, and particularly, which I suppose is where my career sort of gone. You know, more complex and knotty challenges. I, I I suppose I love that that excitement of the client saying, "Look, here's what's on my mind." you know, today or this week or this year, this is, these are my problems for the year ahead. How, how, how can you help? And, and I suppose I just love that challenge of well, what can we do to, to kind of, you know, help them, help the members of their scheme, um, you know, who, who, whoever they are, whatever that kind of challenge is. I just, for me, that sort of thrill of, of, you know, what's, what's the problem that we're trying to solve and how do we solve it is, is the thing that gets me up in the morning. Let's go back a little bit then. So you, you started at Bacon and Woodrow, slash Hewitt slash Aon and then I think was it after you qualified you made your first move to another company yeah so 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 I was about six years at, at Bacon and Woodrow um then I joined what was um uh Watson Wyatt at, at the, mm-hmm. still at the time um being the great actor that I am I always remember the date because I joined them on a day there'll, there'll be a whole generation that don't know what a day was but it was the uh it was the attempt at pension simplification, which wasn't pension simplification, which kind of gave birth to um, the lifetime allowance and an annual allowance. So, you know, a, a number of the kind of tax efficient elements we have within within pension. So 6th of April 2006. So that's when I moved across to, to Watson Wyatt um, to join uh, their corporate consulting team. So by that point, I've started doing um, more kind of corporate consulting um, albeit, you know, at what's at the time, you could still do a mix of corporate and trustee. So, so joined them, um, had a great boss, um, chap called Andrew Reed, who, who was a great actuary and, and sort of enjoyed working with him on a project. And he, um, in, in the way of these things, sort of talked me into into going over there. So yeah, joined joined Watson Wyatt, um, and then did about six years with them and started kind of that was then the early days of um, the sort of buyout market, the longevity hedging market, and I just sort of happened to get involved in some of those transactions, always sort of enjoyed, again, I guess, as I say, maybe some of the more complex or innovative problems. So just got involved in in those. Um, so started doing more of those transactions and then had the opportunity to join Namura, who investment bank and at the time looking to establish their own insurance entity to write um to 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 write longevity swaps and bulk annuity deals. So after kind of six years at Watson Wyatt, um, got the opportunity to do that, wasn't sort of particularly looking to, to move, but the opportunity to jump sort of provider side rather than consultant side, being an investment bank sort of sounded sounded cool. So uh, so did that. Um, that one, though, interestingly, only lasted seven seven months. So um, Namura kind of as part of that process then decided it, 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 it actually, um, despite us at the point of just about to get FCA authorization for the insurer, sort of pulled out of that of that okay so um so it's actually made redundant which was a you know a, 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 a real experience actually um but the silver lining of of that was was that then joined um pwc as a as a partner with with them 
And in fact, a great, you know, a great learning for me, interestingly, was, you know, to join PwC as a, as a sort of direct entry partner was, you know, not, not, not an easy thing to do. And in fact, I remember talking to the managing partner at the time and, and the thing that gave them confidence to bring me in at that level was to go to Nomura, that, that sort of jump to Nomura and, you know, back myself to join what would have been a kind of startup business to do that rather than it would have been difficult to have done straight from, um, you know, straight from, from Watson Wired. Um, so, so yeah, so although, you know, it didn't work out at, at, at Nomura, we were only there, there seven months, we never got to see whether what we were building would have worked or not. Interestingly, it, it, it was the sort of gateway to, to, to PwC, um, which is there when I spent, you know, 10, 10 very happy years as, as, as partner before, um, a year ago coming over to the EY team to kind of lead and grow, grow our pensions offering. Yeah. So you, how was it when you found out that the plug was being pulled and you being made redundant? How did you feel at that point? Yeah, it's it's tough, and it, you know, and it's it's an odd thing to talk about in a way because I think there still is you know an element of kind of stigma around you know redundancy and, and that sort of thing. But I, you know, very openly talk about it. And for me, as I say, it was a it was actually a really good opportunity to to join PwC. But but yeah, I mean, it was the sort of very classic. You know, we, we sort of had an inkling probably maybe a week or two ahead that it, it may be coming. It wasn't a sort of an absolute shock on the day, but it was only a week or two ahead. Namura was going through a, a very large global restructure at the time. So we knew mm. a number of different business lines were being looked at. But it was the sort of like it is in the movies. You know, someone turns up with a cardboard box and says, you know, you've got three hours to clear your stuff. And then uh, and then and then that's it. So, um, so yeah, there was a team of... Um, uh, a team of of seven of us, three three managing directors. I was one of the M- MDs, and then yeah, so we we cleared our stuff. We then went and sat in um, a restaurant uh, at one new change. I can't even remember what the restaurant was, and we sort of sat there um, having lunch, all with our sort of boxes of stuff on on the table, and we all just sort of chatted about what we um, what we were going to do, what we were going to do 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 next. Um, I should say, you know, Namura treated us very well and very fairly. I mean, we we joined at a time when the global banking crisis had happened. So we joined the Bureau at a time when, you know, we knew banking restructures were were, were things. So um so so we sort of, you know, went went in with our eyes open and, and you know Namura were very good 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 to us as we as we kind of left. But um but yeah, yeah. so we sort of had that lunch and all all sort of made our plans for what we would do what we would do next. So what was your plan? So my plan pretty quickly came back to, um, do, do I go back to, to Watson Wyatt? Loved, loved my time there, you know, six very happy years, still knew a lot of the, the team. Um, or, you know, is there a new opportunity? And, and I think, you know, quite quickly got quite excited about PwC, you know, being part of a, you know, a huge firm that does more than just actuarial. I, 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 you know, I've always enjoyed collaborating with people from different areas and we enjoyed talking to people who have experiences that I that I don't. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I love chatting to other actuaries, but but you learn a lot from people who know stuff that, that you don't know. So so you know, quite quickly attracted to PwC for the chance to work with you know just different different teams. That, you know, potentially even take my career off in a different different direction ultimately. So um, so yeah, that was that was kind of my, my my plan. Did you want to go in as a partner and therefore you opened the conversations along that or were they looking for a new partner or how how did how did you go straight in at that level? Yeah, I think so again I was I was you know as always 
you know, you're, it, it, it's through kind of support from others that, that one kind of achieves these things. So I knew at that point, um, there was a few folks who were partners at PwC that, that I kind of knew from, from the industry. They'd been on the other side of a um, quite a big transaction that I'd worked on trustee side. So they, you know, we got to know each other quite well through through that. Um, a good friend, a chap called Stephen Dicker was, was, was there, still a partner at PwC. So, so that helped. They were sort of able, if you like, to to sort of vouch for me and they were folks that I, I reached out to and um you know as they say one thing leads to a, to another and um and, and yeah joined joined them what year was this in relation to when you started how many years of experience did you have before you became a partner yeah so that's a good question so i think this was in 2013 so i, I it was about 13 years of of experience at, at that point um so i was yeah a, a relatively young relatively young partner to to join but but as I say, I think having the sort of managing director um, experience from Namura, having you know gone from an actual firm to a to a to a bank, you know, was was what meant that I was able to to kind of do that. So it's 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 interesting actually how you know one move kind of leads to another in a way you can't can't always necessarily pr- predict. Yeah. So you think if you if you had gone straight from WCW, it would have taken longer, and if so. What was the experience you got through being an MD that that really sort of firmed up your partner credentials, if I can put it that way? Yeah, so I, so I think it would have done, right? I think, well, certainly the managing partner of PwC told me that, you know, we wouldn't bring you in or we'd find it more difficult to bring you in directly as a partner straight from from, from Willis Towers Watson, even all else being, being equal. And I think mm-hmm. what it was was that, you know, at Namura, we were building something from from scratch and then we were going out to kind of generate revenue and that's you know very much the mindset i mean maybe of maybe of all firms at a senior level but particularly a big a big four particularly a a sort of a partnership that you know are you able to land and build revenue from you know a a kind of a zero base so i think it was that that experience a just sort of being being up for that and being willing to, to sort of back yourself to do that um, but also kind of having lived that a little bit at, at, at Namura, um, you know, kind of really did, you know, really did help, I think. I think that experience really helped. Yeah. If 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 someone's listening and they're in an actuarial consultancy, they have ambitions to, to be a partner in the future, but they're probably not going to be able to make that jump to an investment bank necessarily. I mean, they might, but but they might not. What sort of things should they be thinking about working on? What skills should they be developing if they do want to make it to partner level? Yeah, and 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 you know, and, and and definitely, you know, don't get me wrong, it's not going via an investment bank. It's not the only way to to, to do it, uh, and indeed, you know, may may not be the right way. Um, but, but yeah, but 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 yeah, that it, it that's the important question, isn't it? Kind of what do you what do you show? And you know, and I, so I'm in, in an obviously fortunate position to be growing a a you know a team within a big big four so what do we you know what do we look for what are those sort of attributes that that we look for i think it's that you know it is that entrepreneurial mindset that kind of desire to 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 kind of build something and and although you know none none of these things are built on, on your own i've never built anything on my own it's all been with you know huge support from below me and above me and that's a key part of it of any job you you do, but I suppose you need to have that kind of self-starting tenacity to to kind of you know go out there and and, and win or, or look for the opportunities and build relationship. So I think it's that more than 
more than anything else that that, that that we kind of look for. And and you know, I suppose having gone to Namura was a was a sort of a demonstration of of that and I suppose an evidence of that. But ultimately it's yeah, showing that kind of desire to really build and and grow something. Cause because that's what, you know, that's what sort of partnerships are about. It's about, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit spirit of building something that, that otherwise wouldn't wouldn't be built unless you were you were there. So I think it's that. It's that. So I think as people are thinking about their career, looking for different ways to to be key to sort of building and growing something, um, you know, is is what you should be looking to do. And that can be done in a number of areas. It can be done through kind of winning clients. It can be done through building a a particular proposition, or, or it can be done through through kind of leadership and, and management. But I think those are the those are the attributes that 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 that, that, that people should be looking for. I think you know because. Big actuarial firms are great, and I've spent, you know, a large part of my career, as I say, in in traditional actuarial firms. But you know, they're they're, they're wonderful in the sense that you know you have a huge base of people talking to clients. You know, you've got a very big scheme actuary client base, for for example. So you know, the phone rings a lot, and I think it's about that mindset of you know, I'm not going to sit there and wait for the phone to ring. I'm going to get out there and and make stuff happen. And I think that's uh, that's the sort of key thing we're we're looking for. How often do you see that in people? So, I mean, let's not talk about your your current team, but in in the past, where you've you've been a partner and you've got say managers and senior managers, various people at those levels, do all of them naturally start doing this, or does it take something extra to to get somebody to actually have that mindset and and be entrepreneurial? Yeah, I mean, we're looking, you know, you're looking for that for that spark, and and you know, and and it's not always. You know, evident, and and one thing I'm really passionate about is what I call quiet leaders and quiet leadership, and it's not falling into the trap of just looking for the, you know, what you might historically think of as that kind of alpha, you know, kind of persona, because you know that may or may not be actually demonstrating an underlying quality of of growth and and building a business or developing people. So it's looking through that, looking through you know, what, what what you might traditionally think of as the kind of signs and actually for people that are passionate about, you know, building something and growing something. And, and sometimes you need to sort of dig a little bit to, un- to uncover that. Um, so it's not always obvious and evident. And I suppose part of part of what, 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 what you do in, in your role and, and what sort of, you know, people do as you're interviewing people is to try and try and uncover that and, and, and find that and find what motivates people I think you know the the other thing, which again you you've sort of got to be super mindful to really look for is is kind of confidence. I, I think you know I see a lot of people that you know are, are hugely capable and can do it, um, but maybe just sort of lack the the kind of confidence and belief to 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 do it, and that can be through all sorts of you know reasons, either in their kind of job or or earlier in their life. And and what I you know what what I think is really exciting is when you're sort of able to kind of help people with that and that and that kind of confidence to to kind of do it and move on to the next phase because then you're really unlocking someone's kind of true true potential so so it's not i don't know it's a slightly rambling answer james to your question but it's not it's not always easy to spot it's not always easy to to kind of do it but i suppose you're looking for someone that's excited and energized by growing and building something and and being faced with a with an opportunity to do that and taking it up because 
you know life's hard enough right and if people if you're not excited by that or the prospect of that then it's going to be very difficult to do it if it's not not kind of something that you enjoy so so that's what that's what i think we're trying to trying to uncover so i think as people are thinking about their career thinking about ways they can demonstrate that and show that um you know being open if it's like actually the barrier to it today has been i've lacked confidence you know that's that that's fine because you can you know you can deal with that where does your confidence come from yeah, I don't know. I've I've always James sort of had a slight kind of, you know, blind optimism on on life in in a lot of things. I tend to sort of be a glass half full rather than empty kind of guy and I think I think a lot of it comes from you know, comes comes from that. I don't and it's not that, you know, it's not um so I still get super nervous. I mean, I you know, I've I've fortunate in my position. I get to talk at a lot of very, you know, interesting conferences. I've I've done a few sort of very big um, keynote speeches where you've got many hundreds of people in the audience. I've met, you know, recently spent some time with with the Chancellor, which was fun. And I get super nervous with those things. You know, I still get nervous. It's not about, you know, do you get nervous or not, but it's about how you then channel that that kind of nervousness into making you focus and 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 kind of making you deliver. So, um, so I don't know. I think it's a combination of that that sort of view that I'm never going to let being nervous about doing something stop me doing it. And you know, maybe just a slight blind optimism on um on on you know on where it'll end up. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And so then, obviously, you 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 were at PwC, I think, for ten years, and then you moved to EY what eighteen months ago, just under eighteen months ago. What was the the thought behind that that move? Yeah, I mean, I love love my time at, at PwC. You know, fantastic organisation. You know, was a partner there ten ten years, and, and met many great friends. You know, who'll be who'll be friends for life. But the opportunity at EY was to to build something um, in my own vision, I guess. So, I, you know, I, I lead the national team, uh, the pensions consulting team at EY. So that opportunity to um, to, to yeah build build something in my own vision, see if I'm up, up up to it, test myself out a little bit as my next my next kind of opportunity. So yeah, it was a chance to to do that. And you know, the EY team was a fantastic team it's a great base to build from but but yeah can we sort of grow and, and expand it out from from where it is so and and you know so far so good and and really enjoying it really enjoying it what's your vision so it it, it covers a few things so so one is to kind of help more corporates and trustees in the pension space particularly you know kind of with some of the knottier you know more difficult challenges i think you know people tend to come to a firm like EY um, because you know they've, they've got you know particularly difficult challenges where having expertise that cover a number of different areas is is kind of valuable and can add to a to, to a better outcome. So 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 it's to do that. It, it's to kind of grow grow you know the revenue footprint of that business, make it bigger, so we can you know progress our people and, and develop people even even more, which is kind of happening, which is great. I do want to, and I talked to the team you know a fair bit about this. Have a a societal impact so you know it's great if i make ey and myself and my team you know more money but actually if in 10 years time we look back and that's all we've done then i'll have considered will will have failed like i want to have left the pension sector or the retirement sector in a better place you know societally than, than it is now um and i think you know now there is a real opportunity to to do that i mean i used to talk about the challenges with defined contribution as being, um, you know, a crisis hiding in in plain sight. But I think actually it's not hiding anymore. I think, you know, there's a lot of recognition that we have a whole generation of people that are massively under under pensioned. 
Um, and there's recognition of that. We haven't yet worked out fully how to unlock and fix that. The fact that we've got a lot of surpluses in DB is is got to be part part of that. But I think the opportunity to make a societal difference is really key key to me, and that's a key part of our of our objective. Um, and then, as I say, to, to develop and, and progress our, our people at, at EY. I've, I've been, as, as I say, incredibly fortunate to have had some fantastic you know, bosses and, and senior folk who have, you know, given me opportunity and allowed me to, to develop. Um, and I want to do, I want to do the same. I want to, you know, give those opportunities to, um, to the folks that are joining us at a more junior level and, and the folks we've got in the team already. So, so if I try and give you a slightly more succinct answer, James, if, if in 10 years time, I look back and we've grown the business, we've progressed our people and, you know, we've made society a, a, a better place in a sort of incremental way through pensions, then, you know, that that for me is is kind of achievement of that vision. I want to ask this, but not this isn't a work podcast, so, so I'm not asking for sort of nitty gritty, but what, what impact have you had so far? Have there been a few things that you've done that you, you can straight away sort of see the the changes happening around you yeah i mean i think so one of the things i've, I've been most proud of uh albeit as i say I'm, I'm standing on the shoulder of giants because you know it was a much bigger team kind of in, involved in, in a lot of the heavy lifting but the work we've done um around the mansion house compact and what that's seeking to do with um with dc pensions and unlock some of the barriers to investment in unlisted equities which yeah we truly believe will be a a win-win for for you know for society for members of schemes and, and UK business. So so that I think is one of the areas where you know particularly kind of proud of what we've what we've achieved. I mean you know we're still at the start of that of that journey, but um but but yeah really proud of that. And as I say you know the City of London Corporation and in particular Nick Lyon um, the outgoing um, Lord Mayor you know were, were were key and instrumental to to that. But that you know that that I think we see having a real a real difference. What are you doing on the culture front? What what's it like to to be in your team? Yeah, it's um it, so it's it, it, it's a great team. Uh, as I say, one of the things that I'm really keen to champion is is kind of silent leadership, and you know because actually getting that right improves things on so many so many levels. Um, you know, in so many diversity angles, both with a small D and a and, and a big D. Um, and I sort of and I don't know. Some people agree with this. Some people who know me disagree with this, but I sort of think of myself as a quiet leader. You know, I don't not particularly kind of shouty shouty in, in my kind of style and, and the way I am. And and but people have kind of seen, I think and hope, kind of what what I can can do and, and deliver. So again, I'm I'm really keen to continue to to champion that actually the folks that might otherwise be left a little bit behind because you know they're not the loudest voice in the room. How do we make sure we're we're um you know we're hearing those voices and what they've got to contribute to the to, to the debate um so that's you know that, that that's one of the sort of big things i'm keen to keen to continue to champion um but it's a great culture at, at, at ey um you know it genuinely is so uh, you know there isn't a lot that we need to we need to do or i feel i need to influence i feel i'm more uh, you know to repeat the phrase, standing on the shoulders of giants in that, you know, there's a lot of great work going on already that, that I'm just sort of continuing to support and, and champion. If there are quiet leaders, what can you do to help them to be heard more? So it's in a number of, so as always with, with life, you know, things would have happened if, if, if the answer was easy. So as always, it's, it's a number of different things. It's a number of different interventions. So 
you know, what we're quite mindful not to do is, you know, if there's a particularly you know, a new piece of work or, or, or a new opportunity is just to say, you know, who wants to do it? Put, put your hand up because inevitably, you know, the most confident, the, the louder will, will kind of volunteer first where maybe it's people who are saying, you know, what well, is this right for me? Can I do it? That, that don't volunteer. So actually being quite mindful in how we, um, uh, in, in how we kind of resource work and resource projects. Um, in how we run meetings, you know, again, it's very easy for the loud voices to kind of dominate. So giving space and time to talk through, you know, when we're discussing, you know, the way we're going to run ourselves as a team to, to do that is important and, and allowing channels that people feel comfortable with to, to kind of share is important. But then we're also doing it in how we how we recruit, and again, you know, James, you will, you know, you'll see this, and, and you'll know more about this than me. But but we're very deliberate in some of our recruitment in in keeping our um, keep keeping opportunities open for longer, even if we've got you know a number of candidates already, because you know what we'll see is again the sort of confident loud voices will be the first to come to them whereas maybe someone who's you know returning to work after a, a period of absence or maternity or paternity leave you know it, it will take a bit longer to kind of come through so we're very deliberate in keeping opportunities open for longer and then the way we run the interview process you know again we'll I'll deliberately have you know a balance of people doing the interview who I know are going to be sort of looking out and are perhaps quiet leaders them, them, themselves to kind of try and unlock that because because for me it's all about unlocking the potential in 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 people again I sort of feel I've, I've sort of benefited from that from others in my in my career people have sort of seen through that I'm not you know the loudest voice always in in the room I didn't you know sort of go to a a bad school but but you know went to a you know not not the best state school and and people are kind of giving me the opportunity to, to kind of show what I can do without some of the sort of traditional um badges I, I guess so um so I'm really keen to kind of give that give that back a, a little bit and look for that so it's, it's hard James we have to keep re rechecking and rebalancing that we're doing it and not falling into the trap because it's sort of easy easy to do so to just think and listen to the, the the louder voices but but we try and sort of do that in how we how we interact what do you like best about your job i mean it, you know I, I i mean it's such a cliche isn't it to say like i wake up every day kind of happy to, to but, but I, I genuinely just feel an incredible privilege and in i just i do really enjoy what what we do and i enjoy that aspects of it i enjoy you know seeing the team flourish you know particularly promotion time you know it's a it's a great time i enjoy that but 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 for me you know being in front of clients is the thing i really i really enjoy you know talking to them about you know what's on their mind what what how can we help them what, what's their difficulty and then how do we fix that what can we do to to, to kind of make that better for them I, you know I, I i i just really really enjoy enjoy that and, and i'm very lucky in all of the places i've worked actually um, that you know, I've just had phenomenal access and ability to to do that. So I've got to work with some you know some amazing organisations, and it and it's great. It, you know, it's been great to do that. Yeah, I, I usually ask this right at the end, but maybe we'll spend a little bit more time on it. I'm I'm, I'm interested in your view on the future of of pensions, the future of work for pensions actuaries. You know, people who are maybe graduates just getting their first actuarial job maybe not even knowing the difference between insurance and pensions at that point, just, just taking a job and starting. But 
how do you see it evolving? And if someone's starting in pensions today, should they be concerned around what they'll be doing in 20, 30 years time? What's, what's your view on that? Yeah, so, so, so on one hand, I'm very, very kind of positive on the pensions in particular kind of actuarial profession. Equally, I have some, I have some, I suppose, you know, concerns about the actuarial profession. So maybe let, let me unpack that a, a, a little bit if you'll indulge me, James. So, I mean, on, on, on the sort of pension side and the pensions opportunity, I, I remember joining, as I say, Bacon and Woodrow as, as a graduate um, and having a sort of speech from the then managing partner, who's a phenomenal lady, a lady called Linda Parsonage, um, who, who taught me a lot. But 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 she said kind of first year as a graduate, we've probably got another five years of defined benefit pensions. And then, you know, then then it's all done and, and it's going to be D.C. from that point on. And, and I wasn't, you know, as I say, Linda was an, an amazing, an amazing lady, phenomenally bright. Um, it wasn't that she was, you know, it was a bad view. Just, you know, it's the constant sense in pensions that will DB's, mm. DB's over, isn't it? Um, and so that was, you know, that was, what, 23 years ago? And, you know, we've marginally decommissioned DB a little bit since since then. So so I suppose... Sorry, what did you think when you heard well, that? Well, I, I first thought that was a bit depressing. I've just started my career in, <laughs> in, in this. But um, but I suppose I'm, I've always been of the view that, you know what, I mean, even, even then, even in 2000, this sense that, disruption in so many professions was coming um you know i don't think there's any job where you can say you know what it's going to be the same in five years that's true yeah you know even doctors you know i mean that's going to change and and be automated and so so every profession however long it's been around will will change so i I was pretty as i say i'm a pretty kind of glass half full kind of guy so but but yeah it wasn't particularly motivating You're, you're you're right but but i suppose my takeaway from that is i just wouldn't you know, it, it. I don't think pensions as a sort of you know a profession is going is going anywhere quickly, and you know, and that was obviously even before where you know it does feel like something has actually potentially quite profoundly changed in the way people think about you know think about pensions in terms of you know DB schemes running on and acknowledgement that DC you know, at least at current contribution levels isn't and can't be the right answer. So, you know, what what are some middle ground solutions look like? So I, I remain incredibly positive that, you know, pensions is going to be a, you know, a, a fast moving and interesting area that's going to require actuaries for a, you know, a long, long time. As long as any of us can look in any profession and say, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be around. So, so I'm very, very positive and I would be at pains to say, you know, definitely think about and consider pensions as as a you know as a graduate as a career choice um because yeah I, I'm, I'm very very positive on it and the future of it i guess my concern as i mentioned a little bit is for the actual profession a bit more generally i've always sort of I, you know i'm a bit of a secret kind of tech geek in that i enjoy kind of tech and and, and that sort of thing um so in my sort of period out between when i was on garden leave between um pwc and ey i did the Institute of Actuaries Diploma on Data Science, which has a little bit of kind of machine learning in it, you know, just, well, partly to make sure my brain didn't go to to mush on, on gardening, mm-hmm. but, but also just because I enjoyed that. And I look at that area and that field of, of data science and machine learning and AI, and, and I think it will just, you know, revolutionise how we think about in time, how we think about kind of data. And I do you know, Rory, I suppose, is, is the right way to phrase it, that the actual profession needs to make sure they're keeping keeping on top top of that. I think the sort of the actuaries have a huge amount to bring to, to the data science 
fields, but I think we need to be quite proactive as a profession in making sure actuaries are involved in data science and, and you know, to an extent, transitioning some of our skills from the historic skills that, that we learn into, you know, data science and machine learning tech techniques. So I think there's a bit of a shift for the actuarial profession to to do to make sure it doesn't you know get squeezed out if you like by the field of of, of data science um and i don't think it will and i think the actual profession is you know is kind of on top of and understands that but i think that's that's a, a big you know a big area so again any anyone i mean you know being curious i think is a really really good trait to have in 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 any work you do but i think particularly in the actuarial world you know being curious about you know these techniques and new techniques is you know is is a really good way to to kind of make sure you're you're kind of staying um relevant and, and on top of where the profession's going when you sort of look back over your career to date if you had to change one thing or do one thing slightly differently what would that be i think probably the lesson i learned was I kind of think about my career in two phases. The first kind of 10, 12 years was, I suppose, getting more successful by doing more and kind of working harder and, and longer. And then you sort of get to a point where we you, you just sort of physically can't do, do any more. And, and you realise actually the answer is not to do more and work harder. It's to get better at delegating, get better at, you, you know, using those those around you or, you know, ha- having them support and them develop with you. Um, and, and I suppose I only realised that when I got to the point where you just, you know, there just aren't any more hours in, in the day. Um, and then you start kind of delegating more and then, you know, then you can achieve more and deliver more by sort of smaller interactions with, with people that are kind of supporting you. And I suppose I wish I'd sort of realised that earlier, actually, and I wish I'd sort of appreciated appreciate that earlier and and it's you know and it's not easy actually I still even today I find it hard to delegate like my my instinct reaction is to, to do it and to do it myself that's kind of still today is, is kind of where I go and 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 you can't and that's not the right answer but it actually takes a skill to learn to to delegate and pass on to others and 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 you know give responsibility to others and you know nine times out of ten they will do, you know, a better thing than, than than I would have done. Or they'll do, you know, something that would have been different to what I would have done. But actually then if I had my little bit, it, it's something better. So um than, than you would have done on your own. So I think, yeah, that that's probably I wish James earlier in my career I'd realised that actually the key is delegation and, and working with others rather than just trying to do more more myself. When when somebody comes up to you and you tell them you're an actually and they their face is blank, they they have no idea what it means. How do you, in sort of 30 seconds, explain to them what you do? Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard. And, and occasionally, you know, you're at a dinner party and they miss you. You would think you said actor. <laughs> and you have to decide, do you, you know, and they get quite excited. And then you just, you know, do you just style it out and pretend you're an actor? Just go with that, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or disabuse them of that. Um, so it's quite hard. I, I said, you know, I don't go with any of the sort of, you know, um, actuarial strap lines like you know making financial sense of the future you know it's a great strap line don't get me wrong but it doesn't it doesn't people sort of get even more confused so yeah I mean, <laughs> what I try what, what I tend to try and do is say you know I work with this company and help them think about you know their retirement and, and pension provision um, to individuals and then you know normally that kind of spins off into a couple of couple of questions and, and you kind of go from go from there so I sort of try and bring it alive that way. Mm-hmm. 
what do you do when you're not being an actuary? What do you do outside of work? Yeah, good question. I should say most of my life these days is dominated by by by, by having two kids and a and a dog. Uh, that okay. seems to take up a lot a, a lot of bandwidth in measure. <laughs> um, but for me, I, I've always loved music and enjoyed music. Music's always been kind of my my release. For me, maths and music have always sort of been a bit symbiotic. I kind of you know feel music a little bit in and, and make music a little bit in kind of by by numbers. It's kind of I don't know that part of my brain seems to seems seems to link and and you know I was very fortunate um when I was at school to to again stumble a bit like how I stumbled into the actual profession but but sort of stumble into the bass guitar and then joined a band and and although no one's ever heard of us um we did release a couple of a couple of albums we got played on 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 BBC radio but by the late legend John Peel uh a few times which was a great a great privilege and honor so I've I've always enjoyed and, and although my band playing days are long, long behind me. Um, you know, I still pick up the guitar occasionally and enjoy that as a as a bit of a wind down. What advice would you give someone who's just starting their career as a pensions actuary today? So I think, I mean, be you know, be be curious in in all senses of 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 the kind of word about you know new techniques, learning new things, and as I say, like learning from the people above you, and and thinking, well, well. How do I do that? And how do I make, you know, how do I start to take on what they're doing? I think that's, for me, that was the thing that always sort of seemed to stand me in good good stead. stead. So I think, you know, do do that. I think, you know, be, I'm sort of, as I say, naturally wired that way, but, but you know, be positive and, and energised and excited by, by opportunity. You know, opportunity isn't always easy you know and my time at Namura you know didn't end as we liked with it to end but actually it was a really positive thing for me and my career so I think just be you know be positive and, and engaged about opportunity and um, I think and hope if you get those things right then the rest should should sort of slot into place. Fantastic this will be my final question what are you looking forward to in the next 12 months? In the next 12 months what I'm looking forward to I mean I'm looking forward to you know continuing to, to work with my team and where we'll get Get the kind of EY proposition because I think it's really excited about where that's where that's going. But I think you know, as I mentioned earlier, pensions is in a really interesting place in terms of like what what is the future model for kind of UK pensions. And I'm really excited about the progress I think we'll make over the next twelve months on on that as a as an industry. And I think you know it could be quite quite profound actually. It could be quite profound. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, if anyone's listening to this and wants to get in touch, whether it's about exploring opportunities with your your team or, or just describing your thoughts on something, are you happy for them to do so? And what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, please do. Yeah, and please, please reach out to me on on, on LinkedIn. Um, you might have to wade through some of my sort of comedy or what I'd like to think is comedy musings <laughs> on my LinkedIn. But, uh, but yeah, please do connect with me on that. I'm not... I'm, I don't always check LinkedIn every single day, so please don't don't think I'm being rude if I don't come back immediately. But yeah, I'll I'll, I'll always kind of um, uh, sort of respond to folks that, that connect with me there. So yeah, excellent. Well, um, thanks again so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to to know you and um, to to get some insight into to what you've what you've achieved to date. So really appreciate it, and uh, and I wish you all the best. No, thank you so much, James, for, for the invite. I, I follow in a very prestigious list of folks you've spoken to. So no, thank you very much for including me, uh, including me in it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Actuarial People. Please don't forget to subscribe and consider leaving a review. 
If you have any questions or feedback or any suggestions for future guests, please contact me on info at actuarialpeople.com. This podcast is sponsored by my recruitment company, Turner Perkins, and you can contact me there at james.turner at turnerperkins.com. Hope to see you again.